Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 1 Kings 22, and well, we looked at Ahab's repentance last time. It was very short-lived. It didn't take Ahab long to go back to his old ways. Uh, This evening we're going to really see the circumstances surrounding King Ahab's death, this wicked leader whose reign eventually comes to an end. And sometimes we look at the world and we see so much injustice and could be a, a president, it could be a king, it could be, you know, maybe even a leader in a church, and it's just so disheartening. But God only allows, he, he's very long-suffering, he's very patient for people to come to repentance, but he only allows them to go on for so long. And then we'll look at the end of the chapter and see that he was just an evil man, and that's what he was known as. We'll check that out. Um, I may quote Second Chronicles 17, 18, 19, and 20. I'm not going to read it, but... Uh, as we go through it, Chronicles gives us a little bit extra information. Uh, Chronicles is written more from a spiritual standpoint, so we'll check that out. And we'll jump in, just move, move pretty quickly on this. Uh, starting with verse 1, 1 Kings 22, it says, Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hands of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So King Ahab, um, he fights. You know, King Ahab, remember, King Ahab of Israel is the northern ten tribes. So just think Israel is the north. And Judah is the south, the two tribes to the south. So Ahab fight, fights with Syria. Then he becomes friends with Syria. He disobeys God and doesn't you know, take out Ben-Hadad. He spares him. He's not supposed to do that. Of course, Ben-Hadad, you know, he's fearing for his life and his kingdom, says, you know, I'll re- return everything to you. And they're on the border, these two countries. Uh, and of course... Ben-Hadad, after some time passes, and the Syrians are like, yeah, whatever, we're not going to make good on that promise. What a surprise, you know. But we think sometimes we know better than God. And this is uh, emblematic. It can be in a wicked person's life, and in some instances, in a good person's life. You know, we kind of have this idea that, well, I'm going to do it this way. But God said, don't make a treaty with them, don't spare Ben-Hadad, and of course Ahab didn't listen. So Ahab now enlists the help of a good king of the south, Jehoshaphat uh, of Judah, to help him get this disputed territory, which is basically several miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee on the border of Syria. Now, there's an interesting thing going on here. And, and before we even go into why good Jehoshaphat would align himself, well, he also puts himself in a bad position because in Second Chronicles 21, it tells us that Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, was married to Ahab's daughter. So now you have this 
marriage and now there's this alliance between the northern and the southern kingdom and quite frankly Ahab drags Jehoshaphat down but in the end it, Jehoshaphat is characterized as a good person good king okay so that's that's the stage verse 5 and Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel please inquire for the for the word of the Lord today then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together about 400 men and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And I think this is really sad because Jehoshaphat has Jerusalem. He has the temple, he has the priests, he has, the, he has good men. You would hope so or think so. I mean, Je- Jehoshaphat had the seed of spirituality, and he's going and asking Ahab, who doesn't have that, and he also has a bunch of wicked people around him, He's asking his help and his advice on spiritual matters. And that's really sad. And sometimes, you know, today, some know that they have friends or they have associates that really aren't good people, but they don't want to face the facts. And this is this weird relationship between Jehoshaphat and Ahab. So Ahab's false prophets say, everything's fine. You should do this. And today, a lot of false teachers are saying everything's fine. We see what's going on in our culture. We see what's going on in the world. And they just smile and just put, put some sugar on it and butter on it and you know, just swallow it because everything is just wonderful. And, and that's really not the case today either. Now, so you, when you look at the two kings, they are unequally yoked. Now, we know that in reference, the Apostle Paul spoke about that in marriage but he did also speak about that in associations. It wasn't just limited to marriage. So you get these two guys. One's very wicked and one's a good man. And the good man is unequally yoked to the wicked man. You know, Jehoshaphat wants to know. You know, at least he asks. Inquire of, of God. Ahab doesn't care. He really doesn't care. He's going to do what he wants to do. And it's a good contrast that we go through as we look at these two men. Verse 7, And Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Remember, he just had 400 guys say, everything's great. Imagine filling this place up with 400 men who call themselves prophets. Jehoshaphat's still not satisfied. Verse 8, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we, we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> he doesn't hold back, does he? He hated Elijah too. He hated all these good men that represented God. Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat says, let not the king say such things. It's just a strange relationship between these two. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah the son of Imlah quickly. So, So, Jehoshaphat is saying, listen, I, I don't know, I still... He, 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 he's, there's some discernment in him. Because he's a good man, he's like, oh, I don't know, I know there's 400 of them, but is there somebody else? Is, is Elijah around? And Well, this guy, Micaiah, is a really good guy, as we'll see. And Ahab says, you know, I hate him. Basically because he doesn't tell me what I want to hear. How many times, Christian, have you been the one to tell the truth and people have hated you? Uh, and if you go through your Christian life and one person doesn't hate you for telling the truth, maybe you need to step it up a little bit. Maybe you're not being bold enough. But 
The truth is, Ahab really hated God. Micaiah was just the messenger. And as Christians, we're going to be the messengers at times. People are going to hate us at times. And you know where the true prophets were found in Israel often? Under wicked kings? In prison. That's where they were found. Languishing. Because they told the kings what they didn't want to hear. And where were the false prophets? In the king's courts. Eating well, being well taken care of. Boy, there's so many parallels today. I, I think about those that really don't speak for God and, and are bold enough to say things against God's word. And a lot of Christians are caught off guard because they don't know their Bibles. You know, the false prophet talks much about the success of the hearer, where the true prophet talks about the success of God, much to the chagrin of the hearer or, or to the hearer you need to repent or you need to change because this is God and his standard. You can see the difference. Verse, verse 10. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his own throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenaiah, made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. So you have this display. Now let's set the stage before Micaiah, the true prophet, walks in, probably in rags, probably gaunt. You have these two kings who pretty much covered a huge swath of territory and oversaw all of God's people. And they both had these royal robes on. This was their uniform, their royal uniform. They're in their thrones, and there's all these people around telling them everything they want to hear. And then we're going to see Micaiah come in. It, go, it gets so bad that Zedekiah, who's another false prophet, he takes the time to find some iron and he fashions horns out of them. And he, and he actually prophesies that with these horns, just like these horns are sharp, Israel, you're going to gore the Syrians until you destroy them. There was only problem with that, one problem with that prophecy. It was completely fabricated. Isn't that amazing? You ever see somebody who's really a good liar and the stories they concoct out of nothing? It's amazing. You know, I mean, you look at social media, people just come up with stuff and, and they just you see, some, see some laughing there underneath my glasses here. But it's true. And keep going, verse 13. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them. No pressure. And speak encouragement, Micaiah. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Now you can understand how, even today, that this is why in American politics, this is why you know, the elites that run the country and the world, they just can't stand Christians. Because the true Christian is really annoying. They really are. Listen, I just got to do what God tells me to do. I've got to vote the way God has called me. You know, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. I have to live the way God has called me to live. I can't agree verbally with what you're saying. Uh, and the world gets annoyed with real Christians because they're the salt and light. And the world wants to plunge itself into darkness, wants to keep throwing mankind into these... It, there's no end to the depravity of man. So... So you hear, you hear Micah. And, and this guy, I don't know for good or bad, but the, I guess he's the guard or the messenger, and he, and he grabs Micaiah, and he's going to bring him to the court. And you could picture the scene as he's walking him to, to the king, king's court. He's saying, now listen, 
This is what's going on. They're all saying, this is a good idea. It would be well with you if you would just go along with everybody. How many times have you heard that? You know? And my case, like, I can, only, I can only speak what the Lord has called me to speak. You know, it's not always the popular or those that go along with the crowd. Oftentimes, it's the exception that's correct. You know, we see that today as well. And, and the world says, listen, if you just do what everybody else is doing, you're going to be fine. You know, just play ball. Get along. Let's do this. Verse 15. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. I say that for a reason. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountain as sheep that have no shepherd. And, as, and the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Now, sometimes when I read a passage and I'm praying about it, I'll read it more than one time because sometimes the dialogue throws me off a little bit. But what really it seems is happening is Micaiah is just mocking Ahab. You know, you don't really want the truth. As the Lord lives, go ahead. Everybody else is saying the same thing. I'm going to say it. And, and he wasn't being genuine. And Ahab, he picked it out. He figured it out. You're being sarcastic. Tell me the truth. But he didn't want to know the truth. And sometimes we might be there where, um, you know what, they really don't want our counsel. It's like, why do you ask? You ask me, I tell you, what does the Bible say? What does the Lord say? And then you get mad at me. So it's better, just don't ask me. It's like pearls before swine. So Ahab adjures him to tell him the truth, and he does. Micah is faithful, and he basically says, this is amazing, he sees the future because he's a man of God, and God gives him the future. And he says, I saw the Israelites, they're scattered on the battlefield, and the king is dead. I bet you could have heard a pin drop in that room after he said that. You know, the, the guy ushering him in saying, I told him not to say that, you know what I'm saying? But it ruined the whole pep rally. You know, it kind of put a wet blanket on the situation, but it was the truth, you know? <laughs> anyway, so you have this situation, and again, the royal robes, the kings, the thrones, the false prophets, Micaiah walk. How many would have panicked, and how many would have just, you know, lied or just gone along with it because they didn't, want, they didn't like the pressure? You ever been in those situations? You know, you're the only Christian and, and you're being asked and you have the truth and you just know how it's going to go down. I had a young couple in the church once, really, really, very many years ago, um, really nice people, really sweet people, and they wanted me to marry them, but they wanted me to not talk about Jesus, not talk about the Bible, not talk about the gospel. I'm like, you just took all the air out of my tires. What do you want me to do? You know what I'm saying? Right up on flats spiritually. And, and I told them I couldn't do that. I said, because marriage is about God and God ordained it and, and they left the church. I was sad, but you know what? what? What do you want me to do? You know, you come to me, you, you know my reputation. That's the answer you're going to get. And you know that answer is, is what you're going to get. In verse 17, this is very interesting and it should sound familiar. In Matthew 9.36, remember Jesus said the same thing and he looked at Israel and he goes, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're scattered. Now, it's funny because in Micaiah's application, he used it as a war analogy, literal. And Jesus used it in a spiritual analogy. These people, they don't, there's n nobody's guiding them. 
There's, there's not good teachers. There's not somebody who's looking out for their interests. They're, they're scattered spiritually. So I, I just thought that was a neat parallel. Verse 18. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Do you ever get, does he ever look in the mirror and say, Well, maybe I should stop doing evil all the time? You know what's funny? Sometimes you see this stuff on television. And a person is just just constantly doing wrong, doing evil, and they're always blaming somebody else, blame shifting. Of course he's always going to say that to you because you don't live a righteous life. Verse 19, then Micaiah said, therefore, so he doesn't have to offer any more, but he does. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. He gets really bold. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. This is heavy. This is heavy. Micaiah is, is not going to be intimidated. And I, I think of Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees the Lord in his glory and his train and, and the seraphim and they're flying and he's like overwhelmed. And he's like, Lord, I'll do anything. I'm paraphrasing. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, you're, you're amazing. And he basically asks about his ministry and the Lord basically tells him it's going to be a really harsh ministry, the way he explains it. But you know what? It didn't matter. And it didn't matter to Micaiah. Put me back in jail. I don't care. The Lord speaks to me. Could you imagine? The Apostle Paul, yeah, I couldn't get rid of that affliction. I asked three times. Pastor Paul was speaking about that before. But I've seen a vision of heaven and I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. And I, I submit to you, the closer we get to God, the less we're going to be influenced by people because it's God. It's just an amazing thing. Um, someone said this, if men will not have the truth, God will allow them to have a substitute to fill their own carnal desires. Ahab had the truth. He had the warnings, but he rejected it. Some people have issue with the Scripture. Now, the way the Hebrew is written, and we were having this discussion in the, in the sound room about the Hebrew and, and the translation of it, um, well, let me, let me give you the vision and, and, and say what is actually going on and then we'll understand better what's going on. So the first vision, it's amazing, Micaiah gets two visions. The first vision is on the earth. He sees the future of the battlefield. It's not pretty. Israel scattered, king's dead, not good. And then Micaiah says, well, there's more. <laughs> Before that happens, there was a council. The, the Lord God held council. Now this is amazing because We've seen this before. Some people make absolute statements about the Scripture that they really shouldn't. Well, God can't be in the presence. He can't look. He can't, you know, no evil. Well, there's been times where God has demanded His angels to stand and give an account. He did this in the situation with Job. And God had this discussion with Satan. And Satan was able to afflict Job to a certain point. Job was a righteous man. Here, God is holding counsel again. And the ones on his right are probably the good ones that didn't rebel. And the ones on his left, he keeps close tabs on. Otherwise, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. And basically, he says, 
So this is the situation with Ahab. I can't let him do this anymore to my people. I can't let him reign anymore, and I'm, I'm adding. Um, so who's going to go and help him be defeated? And one of the demons said, well, well, I'll go. I'll lie to him. Ahab's a liar. His wife is a liar. He doesn't mind lie, lies, so it'll be like natural to him. So God says, okay, do it. It didn't mean that that, that demon was hanging out in heaven with God. It just meant that he, the, it's just what the Scripture says. He asks a question, that person is up for the challenge, and he sends them out, okay? Uh, and, and this is what demons do. It's funny because I really believe people sell their souls to the devil, but what they don't realize is the devil doesn't have their best interests at heart. The devil will use people to destroy themselves and others, and then they'll have that person turn on themselves. And this is what happens when you play with the dark side. Matthew 12 is very clear. When one is cleaned out by the Lord and they keep dabbling with, well, I'm going to be here in Christianity and I'm going to be here in the devil's playground and this back and forth. And the end result of Matthew 12 is that seven more demons, worse than the first one, inhabit that person and the man's last estate is worse than the first. That's a pretty chilling, I believe it's Matthew 12, 43 through 45. Read it when you get a chance. It's powerful. But it's a sad day when God, his long-suffering is to the point where he's like, you know what, that's it. Your time is up. Scary. Verse 24, then Zedekiah, here's the guy who made the iron horns. He's not happy with Micaiah, the true prophet. So it ruined his whole shtick, you know what I'm saying? He's trying to perform, and then Micaiah comes and throws a wet blanket on the party. So Zedekiah, the son of Chenena, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. He punched him, he hit him and said, which way did the Spirit from the Lord go for me to speak to you? It kind of reminds me of when Jesus uh, did so many miracles and they put like the bag over his head and they punched him and they said, prophesy, ha ha ha, who hit you? Of course he could tell and he knew who hit him, but he wasn't going to play into there. He's going to feed into it. Uh, so he kind of, he smacks uh, Micaiah because Micaiah is making him look bad, you know? if you're right, then the Spirit left me to go to you, and maybe part of it was, you know, hey, you should have seen that smack coming too. But So he hits him, and he says this, and Micaiah says, indeed, his response, indeed you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. You want to know which way the Spirit went? I'm going to prophesy about you. You're going to be one of the ones running away, and you're going to be looking to hide when the Syrians are not getting gored the way you prophesied. Powerful. That's powerful. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, here are my instructions, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. Then Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. Boy, he is really getting bold. And he's really irritating the king, but it didn't matter. And I, I really love that at the last thing he says is to the Israelites, guys, take heed. This guy's going to lead you into an ambush because the Lord is not into this. So he, he, at his own peril, the king's getting enraged. He wants him tortured. He wants him starved. And Micaiah, just, uh, he just keeps prophesying until they yank him out of the court and throw him into the prison, right? I really get into this stuff, as you can tell. Yeah, I really do. It's, it's fascinating to me. Here's the sad thing. The sad thing is Jehoshaphat asked for a prophet, and he got one. 
And I believe Jehoshaphat knew that Micaiah was a good guy. And um, he still goes on at the battlefield with Ahab. Jehoshaphat to me reminds me, and I've seen this many times, a picture of weak believers, weak Christians. They have bad associations and they're afraid to take a stand. Jehoshaphat knows that Micaiah is going to be tortured and he, he just sits there quietly while they yank out the man of God and take him to the prison. It's horrible. Picture of timid believers. Well, it's not me. I'm not saying anything. It's not my situation. They can watch injustice and just be quiet about the whole thing. And he had power, Jehoshaphat. He could have done a lot of things. He could have said, listen, he's a man of God. Let him go. Or otherwise, I'm not going to the battlefield with you. That would be the least he could have done. Anyway, so um, you, you see this. And I talked about this on Sunday. You have four, basically 400 prophets. You have Micaiah. And they're both prophesying completely different things. Well, guess what? Somebody's got to be wrong. And on Sunday, I talked about dualism in Christianity, which really doesn't exist, but people try to make it exist. Well, well our group says that the Word of God means this. Well, our group says that, well, God wants this. Okay, well, what does God's Word say? You can't have a dualistic or pluralistic Christianity. So somebody had to be wrong. And guess what? Micah was right. Verse 29, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself. Why the disguise, Ahab? <laughs> I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. You wonder why Jehoshaphat listened to him. It's like, dude, he's setting you up. And you can see that it almost goes bad. Very interesting. So the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. Find Ahab. Jehoshaphat's wearing the royal robes. Ahab's disguised as a common person. Not good. So when it was, when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they turned aside to fight with him. And Jehoshaphat cries out. He panics. Oh, they're coming after me. They think I'm Ahab. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. So Ahab, again, he must be a little scared because he leaves the court and he now just figures he's going to trick God. And he's going to put on this disguise like a regular person. Right? And we see that the Syrians are instructed, get Ahab. If you find him, kill him. It's amazing how Ahab showed mercy to Ben-Hadad of Syria. It did him nothing. God said not to do it. He disobeyed. And now it's going to cost him his life. You know, it's just, it, I, I, in, in life, to me, I like to see things from different angles. And it's really all in how you look at it. Well, God was, he was out. No, he wasn't. Ahab disobeyed so many times. And actually, God rescued him. Now he's like, you know what? You're on your own. This is what you want to do? You want to disobey? Uh, you know, do what you want to do. So Jehoshaphat, again, asks for a true prophet, gets one, doesn't listen anyway. And to me, he's a picture of a believer, of a Christian, who has their mindset on something. They're going to do something. May not be in God's word, may not be in God's will, but they're going to do it anyway. They're going to go forward with their carnal plans. Initially, the Syrians mistake Jehoshaphat for Ahab. He panics. Um, and he deserves it. He shouldn't have been there. And, and i got to tell you that God in his mercy will give friendly warnings to us when we're disobedient. 
You know, if we, Jehoshaphat was a good man. He really was. A lot of bad judgment calls, lot, some backsliding. But it, for the most part, the Bible says that he was a good king. And he really tried to honor the Lord. But you know what? God will do that to us too. Sometimes he'll whisper in our ear and say, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. You know, it's that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Jehoshaphat, you don't belong here. You got to scare. <laughs> Uh, and again, it reminds me of a picture of that weak believer who finds themselves compromising because of weakness. And I've got to tell you this, Second Chronicles 18, because I read 17, 18, 19, and 20 before I put this together completely. Um, what you don't see in Kings, but what you do see in Chronicles is that Jehoshaphat, when he was being chased by the Syrians, cried out, God, help me! And God did. He spared him. He, he, he had the Syrians divert. So, verse 34... Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Hmm. At random and in between the joints of the armor. That was a sin-seeking missile. <laughs> that thing was trained right on Ahab. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle. I am wounded. The battle increased that day and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians, and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went through the army, throughout the army, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his own country. Defeat was in the air. So Ahab, even with his disguise and his little trick to trick God, that arrow found him, and it found between the joints, and it was a mortal wound. But back in those days, you get hit with a few arrows. This one went right where it needed to go and it took him out. He bled to death. Ahab had no fear of God and it cost him his life. Sadly, his behavior, and this is what sin does. <laughs> I see this over and over again. You know, when we sin, and we sin enough and whatever, it affects other people. And what happened was Ahab's sin affected a lot of people. It really did. Those 400 prophets thought that, well, we're just pleasing the king. But they were just following their wicked leader. Who was worse? I don't know. But his, his countrymen, his army, you know, the king was supposed to love his military. And his bad judgment caused Israel to be all scattered on the battlefield. No doubt some, some were strewn on, on, the, on the battlefield and died. Um, yeah, verse 37. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed, according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. And we go back to Elijah's prophecy. There's a few prophecies that were made about this. Um, Elijah prophesied something sooner. Ahab did repent. It was short-lived. So it didn't come to pass exactly as Elijah said, because Ahab's repentance actually delayed it. Okay, and we'll see the, the uh, future death of his sons and how Elijah's prophecy in the, in the future came to pass. And I'll explain it when we get there. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and all the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. So Ahab dies. Now check this out. They actually did excavations in the area and they found Ahab had this beautiful white house. Um, excavation had showed all this ivory 
he, part of the house was made of ivory, some of the interior. He had this thing about ivory. And the rest of the house had these um, like white painted washed stone walls. So probably in the sunlight is this beautiful white house that stood out. What good was it now? Ahab was an avid builder. Apparently he must have been very talented as well. And he wasted his talents on, on evil. And really it shows the fleeting nature of power and riches. They actually, when they did ex- excavating, found a b- lot of unused ivory. He had all these plans and he never got to finish them. You know? You know, Ahab, where you've been the last 3,000 years, was it worth it? I don't think so. What's amazing is that Ahab demanded the truth from Micah. Micaiah got the truth, but then rejected it. To quote a bumper sticker, God speaks, are you listening? God speaks all the time. (laughs) He speaks through prayer. He speaks through the word. He speaks through other people that we might respect that have gone the, the distance before us. We don't, if we're not listening in prayer, we're not listening to our peers, we're not listening to those that have discipled us, what, you know, the consequences on us. God's word went through Elijah the prophet, Micaiah the prophet, and remember there was another prophet who, for some reason the Bible doesn't name him, in 1 Kings 20. Ahab had a lot of attention by God, kept giving him chance after chance, and this was Ahab's own fault. And he died a shameful death. So three things happened, and I find it interesting. Somebody, unnamed person, the king comes back, and it it's probably looked really weird, um, maybe for the morale of the troops. He's got the arrow sticking out of him. It's, it's puncturing something. He's bleeding to death. And he says to his driver, take me back. So they prop him up facing the Syrians, and they're, they're driving him down with the chariot. I, only I would think of something like this. Okay, you know, He probably looks ridiculous, but he's you know, trying to maintain a good posture. It didn't matter because the army was divided anyway. So they get back. He's dead. So the f- one thing that happens is somebody washes the chariot. Ugh, it's all full of blood. Blood smells. It's hot climate. Get rid of the blood. Plus, there was, you know, the Jews had ceremonial shows with blood and stuff. But you know what they were doing? They were washing out the chariot for the next king. He's gone. He's done. He's dead. Second thing is that the dogs were helping out. They were licking his blood. What the, what the person wasn't washing, the dogs were licking up. And I have two dogs. They'll lick anything. They can be disgusting. But in that society, you know, it was a very different society and you're supposed to get a proper burial and it's supposed to be a certain way and for you to just be bleeding all over the place and the dogs are licking your blood is shameful. Sorry if I'm making anybody nauseous if you just ate. And the third thing, and it's so weird the way it tells the story, and the harlots, the prostitutes, they bathe in the water. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it just shows us is this is the legacy that Ahab left. He had all these prostitutes lined up to keep maybe his men happy, you know. Um, and it was against what God said. But this was the lifestyle that Ahab left. He, he only cared about himself. He was a liar. He was, um, you know, he never had enough money or wealth. Uh, he was unfaithful. He didn't listen to the Lord. He had prostitutes, you know. He, he was an idol worshiper. It was really bad. Last few verses, and then we'll close. Now Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. This isn't chronological, this is a zoom out. So we looked at specifics, now we're zooming out the camera, and we're looking at everything in its totality. And I believe, with my heart of hearts, this is now you see a contrast between the good king and the bad king. 
So Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi, and he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. This is a negative. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, God is so merciful because, in general, the Bible says he's known as a good person. He made some mistakes, as we do. We're not perfect. But there's something that God, there's something in a person that God knows. I know him. I know her. I don't know him, and I don't know her. He just knows. So the Bible tells us, well, some of these guys messed up David, messed up royally, but his heart was for the Lord. He sinned hard, but he also repented hard. Now the rest of the Acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. That's a good thing. He banished them. There was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Here's a little interesting aside that I'm going to get to. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. Then Ahaziah, bad person, the son of Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with the fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Jehoshaphat was good. The Bible says Ahab was bad and his other sons were bad. Um, Jehoshaphat was good but didn't do a quite thorough job in Judah. And what it just shows is that God's leaders have major responsibilities. You know, you want to be a leader? That's great. You have to live up to the calling. 2 Chronicles 9, 1 through 3. Okay, so this whole thing with, with uh, uh, Jehoshaphat aligning himself with Ahab. In 2 Chronicles 19, 1 through 3, another little tidbit comes out. A man named Jehu comes out and he rebukes the king, Jehoshaphat. And he said, this is from the Lord because you allied yourself with Ahab against Syria. And that's not what God wanted you to do. So Jehoshaphat seems to, from that point, institute reforms and a revival. And, and he was convicted. He, he did wrong. You know, I see a weak, a weak believer in Jehoshaphat that can be negatively influenced, but he really desires to serve the Lord. And he knows how to repent, and he knows how to change. Uh, 48 and 49, again, this comes from another book, Second Chronicles 20. Um, you, what's this thing about the ships and the ships get broken up? What does that have to do with anything? Because when we read more into it, Jehoshaphat initially aligns himself with Ahaziah, Ahab's son. He's not learning his lesson. And God allows his ships to be destroyed at Ezion Geber. And Eliezer, 
goes to Jehoshaphat. It was amazing how God, you know, he does that in our life too. How many, you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years. No doubt that a handful or a dozen, you know, over the years, God sends faithful people to us to tell us, you know, you're not doing the right thing. And we believe our own propaganda a lot. Sometimes we need somebody from the outside to tell us you're not doing the right thing. And we have to accept it. You know what I'm saying? At times, um, is this from the Lord? So Jehoshaphat is told, this is why this happened. You know you weren't supposed to do that. So what it seems is at this point, Jehoshaphat starts to cut the ties with these wicked kings of Israel because God is getting his attention. You know, he's getting the hint. Are we getting the hint? Right? And we see the difference again between Ahab, Ahaziah, and Jehoshaphat. And I got to tell you, I can't help, I don't, I don't study God's word in, in a vacuum. When I study God's word, I think about my life, I think about our country, I think about the world, I think about the Christian community. And you know, it's funny, it's, things get revealed. It's pretty fantastic. We have a lot of wicked people running our country. There's a lot of wicked people running the world. You know? Um, and you know, a lot of Christians are just going on like there's no big deal. They're not seeing it. They don't have the discernment. And just like back then, the false prophets today, you know, a lot of these stations, you turn on TV and you see some of these preachers and they're saying the same thing. The 400 prophets did. They're saying all is well. All is well. Everything's great. Don't worry about a thing. And that's not the case. So as we look through the scripture, we look at Ahab. We contrast Ahab with Elijah, with Micaiah, and others. And hopefully, we come to the right conclusions about what kind of leaders we want to be. And maybe some of you will become leaders. You just don't know it yet. You're just not there yet. And maybe some of these teachings will come back to you. We also hopefully are discerning enough to know what type of leaders we want in our country and what type of leaders we want to support in the Christian community. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.